Come on, let's give God a great, great shout tonight. Come on. Come on, we can do better than that. Come on, give God a great shout. Come on. Hallelujah. Give someone a high five and I just want you to prophesy over them. Tell them they are really, really ridiculously good looking. How many people love your pastors? I, I, I was saying to, uh, to Pastor Jared, and I, I, gotta, I, I feel like I've been in disobedience. John, Be- John Bevere a few years ago says, you really need to reach out and uh, connect with the Mings, that they're just killing it up here in Valencia. And you know how you, you, you put things on your to-do list that you mean to get to? <laughs> I meant to get to that. And uh, you never do. It's like one of those. And so today we're in the car and I'm just, oh my gosh, all these similarities and all of our friends. And, and I've got to say that uh, I feel a little bit like the Queen of Sheba because I heard how great your church was. But tonight, after s- sitting there and experiencing this worship in this environment with this atmosphere, I, I feel like the half of it wasn't told. And so I just want, want to just honor your great pastors. You guys, I'm telling you. You guys have the very, very best. And uh, on the front row, I, I felt the, the Holy Spirit give me a word. And uh, it's no coincidence. And I'll tell you what's so beautiful, guys, is uh, we're 12 years and, and we just released an album. And uh, it's not as No, anyway, it's, it's a good album too. It's a great album. In case people are watching, it's a great album. And uh, our team worked really hard as well. But... but uh, you're you're a, a musician, and songwriting and worship is what you what you did. But the fact that you laid it down to labor and labor uh, laid it down to build this church. Here's what the the word of the Lord came to me. This album is a phenomenal album, and it will touch the nations, no doubt about it. And it will be the first of just a series of literally sweeps and waves. But it's uh, this is what the Lord showed me. It's twelve. It's year 12. 12 in the scripture is governance. And what has been labor and what has been work and what has been travail for 12 years to establish now, this conference is called Well because there's a new flow. And the flow is captured in those songs. The songs actually are the personification of a new flow. The, the, the next chapter for Higher Vision Church, the next chapter for you guys is that you're going to govern over areas where you've neither toiled, you haven't travailed. It's almost going to be like there's going to be inheritance and this ministry and this and this. And then the Lord would even say to you that that some will come and the, the water in that land is barren and the water in that land has been poisoned and an enemy has, has stopped up the wells and he's thrown the carcasses of dead animals and, and uh, you know, dirt and earth in there. But the well that is in here, the Lord would say that not only is, is Valen- will Valencia be known as the place where the well of life. And I see it's not just a well of salvation. It's a well of salvation. It's a well of healing. It's a well of deliverance. But it will go from here and it will literally touch nations. And I see you with congregations in the nations. And the Lord would say, just expand your vision. Because already the Lord is expanding out into Palm Desert and Blythe, I think it's called. And the Lord would even say, it's going to be nations. It's going to be this nation. Well, I had that nation on my heart as a kid. This nation and this nation. Because they're going to recognize that the well, the, the, the living water that flows from this house is what's going to turn the poison. It's what's going to, going to turn the barrenness into life producing and fruitfulness. And, and just God's hands on you and your beautiful children. Oh my gosh, you know, Tanner, Mr. Personality, wherever he is, there he is right there, unbelievable. And, uh, and then your beautiful daughters and just the, the hand of God on, on your life. And uh, God bless you. What an honor to, to be here to, today. What an honor to be with you guys. I just want you to know, people have been telling me all about this church. And uh, let me just say, you guys are amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then it's great to, to reacquaint myself with Robert. Spinner, the legend from Hope Unlimited Church. And I met him a, a couple of months ago. And again, just Mr. Slacker, I was meant to get his 
details and then realize, oh, I don't have your details, quick. And, uh, but I just love you. I love your beautiful heart. And then two very, very dear friends of mine, uh, Jack and Sandra Carey. And uh, they, they have been a blessing to us. And I know they've been a blessing here. You, you guys are a blessing wherever you go. Jack and Sandra, and I, I felt overwhelmed when beautiful Sandra, you said, you still pray for me every day. I'd love to say I pray for you every day, but I don't want to come under the judgment of God, but I do, I promise before God, I pray for your children and your grandbabies on a regular basis, that the blessing of God, that the hand of God is on them. And uh, if you don't know Jack and Sandra, they are two of the most amazing people, two of the most wonderful people on planet Earth. So love you guys. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, God bless you. Uh, now, my last name is Matesius. It looks like a spelling test. Don't even try and pronounce it. I'm one of the only people I know who can write my name, Jürgen, with a J, looks like Jürgen. Last name Matesius on a piece of paper, go into CVS and they give me a prescription. How's that? It's kind of cool. So you probably noticed that uh, I live in San Diego, but I've got an Australian accent, but a German name. If that confuses you, welcome to my world. I live confused. Uh, I've been living in San Diego now for 12 years. I was born in Germany, but I grew up in Australia. Been married for 25 years. And uh, this year I decided I wanted to remarry my wife. Uh, so I did a wedding vow renewal. Now, it, it does sound pretty romantic. Part of it was... Uh, uh, when, when I got married, I just finished Bible school. I'm not sure what was going on and I want to hear, but I just finished Bible school and I had hardly any money. And so we hired uh, Leanne's uncle to do the video. And uh, God bless him. God bless him. He's a, uh, he's a recovering alcoholic. And so... <laughs> Remember those days where you had the big giant camera on the shoulder? And you inserted the, the VHS, and all I remember is at the end of the at the end of the thing, he's got a cigarette. And he just presses eject and hands it to us, and then kind of walks off. And I'm like, oh, thank you. You know, it's like so we had one copy of our our, our wedding. And uh, now Leanne, my wife, reckons it wasn't you know because of a fight, but somehow that that VHS, the only copy of our our wedding vows, was in the VCR when somebody decided to record The Simpsons. So it has us coming into the church, and then it goes, The Simpsons. And then it finished, Simpsons finish, and then it has us walking out. So there, is no, there was no record of our wedding vows. I reckon she did that on purpose so she could. Anyway, so I decided I'm going to marry her again and have some witnesses there and uh, get the wedding vows recorded. So we did that this year and uh, I'm more in love now than I was 25 years ago. It's hard to believe, I can't, I, I actually honestly believe my wife is more beautiful today than when we were first courting. But anyway, enough about me. I have four children. It's such an honor to be here. I want you to come with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 78. We're gonna be reading from verse 38. Uh, I've got a word for you tonight that I believe God put on my heart for this great conference. and. Just what an honor, what a privilege it is to be here. And we've been praying for Pastor Benny and Wendy Perez and the, the church in South Las Vegas, as well as all the churches in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, and I just thank God that God is there, that Jesus is being exalted. I've been watching on Instagram and social media. Many of the churches have been jam-packed this week holding vigils. Let's believe that what the enemy meant for evil, come on, somebody, that God is going to turn around for good. Amen. Psalm 78, I'm going to try and do my best to, to, to be half as good as Pastor Benny tonight. So Psalm 78 verse 38 says, But he, God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up his wrath. Verse 39, For he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. Verse 40, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. Verse 43, when he worked his signs in Egypt, his wonders in the field of Zoan, turned rivers into blood, and it goes on and on and on. The title of my message tonight is Unlimited. Unlimited. Uh, how many people know that God is unlimited? God is an unlimited God. 
When I was in Bible school, they taught us three things in uh, doctrine and theology. They taught us three things about the characteristics or the attributes of God. And the first thing that we learned was that God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent, omnipotent. It means that God is all-powerful. God, God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He's vexed by nothing. Nothing terrifies him. Nothing frightens him. Nothing bullies him. Nothing intimidates him. He's all-powerful. The second thing that we learned was that God is omniscient. That God is all-knowing. Nothing catches him by surprise. Uh, no, no, there, there's no chess master that can outsmart, outwit God. There's, there, there's no uh, problem that you're facing that is too complex for God. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows the end of a thing from its very, very beginning. You are so intricately, intricately woven together that even the numbers of hairs on your head, God knows he has it numbered. The Bible says he knows you're rising up and he knows you're sitting down all your tears are in his bottle God is God is omniscient he is all-knowing the third thing that we learn about God is that omni God is omnipresent God is omnipresent that means that God is not limited by time by space and by geography God lives outside of time uh, you probably notice if you're praying it always seems that God is late as because he has no concept of time. Don't even talk to him about timing. He lives outside of time. And so, so God, God is in your yesterday, he's in your today, and he's already there in your tomorrow, building and shaping your tomorrow, saying, I can't wait till they get here. They're going to really love this next chapter of their life. They're really going to love what I'm just about to do. Behold, I do a new thing, says God. It's a new thing for you, but he's already fashioning and already working. So, so we learned this in, in Bible school, that God is an unlimited God. And yet I read here in the scripture, it says again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but in the you know, 80, 90, whatever, however many years I've got on this planet, I don't know about you, but I don't want to limit an unlimited God in my life. I don't want to limit an unlimited God in my life. And the Bible says that it can be done because the Bible says here that the children of Israel limited an unlimited God. So tonight I want to give you three thoughts, three areas where I believe that we limit God. The first area is in what we see. I believe that we limit God in what we see. I'm not sure if you realize this, but uh, God is a God of vision. Did you know that God is a God of vision? When he created you, you will notice that he put your eyes in the front of your head. Because we're meant to be forward looking. You're always meant to be looking forward. A lot of Christians have their eyes in the back of their head. They're always looking back. I remember the good old days. Back, back in the revival, 1987, I got to tell you something. Boy. We're always looking backwards. Some, some people are rowboat Christians. They're, they're, they're looking that way, but they, they're, they're going this way. Some people believe that because there's a fish on their car, they have the, they have the right to put their eyes on the side of their head, and they're always looking at what other people are doing and what other people have got. But you will notice that God put your eyes in the front of your head because we're meant to be looking forward. We're, we're, we're meant to have a forward perspective. So I find in the scripture that, that one of the things that Jesus does is he restores sight to the blind. God wants you to live with vision. In fact, he said to Joshua, Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand. When Joshua looked at Jericho, he probably didn't see that it was delivered into his hand. When he looked at Jericho, he saw walls that for the last 40 years, the king of Jericho had consulted and had hired his greatest engineers, his greatest architects, and they had fortified this city because they knew that th this God was leading his people, the same God who opened the Red Sea, the same God who, who destroyed the entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea. This people were coming this way, and so they fortified a city that they thought could keep God out. The Bible even says in Joshua 6 that Jericho was tightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. It looked like an impregnable fortress to most eyes. But God said to Joshua, Joshua, you can't see like everyone else sees. The, the requirement for leadership is vision. 
The only time Jesus spoke about leadership, he spoke about vision. Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, will they not both fall into a pit? Therefore, a leader must see, a leader must have vision. And so God says to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to see that I've given Jericho into your hand. Because if you see what everyone else sees, they just see impossible. They just see impregnable and they're going to go around it. But son, you're a leader and I need you to put your man pants on. I need you to put your leader pants on. And I need you to actually see differently. One of my favorite stories is in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 is awesome. It's just awesome. The Bible talks about this guy, Abram. His name means exalted father, Abram. And Genesis 15, it goes a little bit like this. It says, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto Abram, Abram, Abram. And Abram said, here I am. And God said to him, here I am, your exceedingly great reward. I mean, how awesome is that? Can you imagine the God of the universe appears unto you and says, here I am, your exceedingly great reward. Happy birthday to... I mean, what an awesome day. This is, this is better than walking on the beach and finding one of those little lamps. <sighs> I'm the genie of... The, this is better than that. This is the almighty God, the creator of the universe, appears to Abraham and says, Abraham, baby, I'm all yours. <laughs> Abraham's response is crazy. Abraham says to God, so what? What's the point of all this blessing? When Eliezer of Damascus, a servant born in my house, is going to be the heir of all my stuff. What's the point of blessing? Look, you haven't given me a son. How many people believe that Abraham was possibly slightly vexed? It's about a nine on the tension scale there, Rapes. What a response. God appears. Here I am, your exceedingly great reward. And Abraham, so what? I mean, I just, I mean, okay, let, let, me, let me kind of break it down. Okay, so uh, Abraham is saying to God, God, look to the almighty God. All right, uh, I got I to gotta help you. Uh, all right, so just a, just a minute, okay. The great God of the universe, the Bible says the heavens can't contain him, appears to Abraham. I'm your exceedingly great. Abraham says, look, you haven't given me a son. Gabriel, I thought I, I distinctly heard a, a squeak. Uh, shall I, shall I Google Earth it, Lord? Go ahead. Look, there it is again, Gabriel. Where's it coming from? Uh, Lord, I believe it's coming from the one, two, three. I believe it's coming from the third rock from the sun. Hmm. Third rock from the sun. Ah. Earth, my favorite planet. Google Earth it some more. See if we can find out where it's coming from. <laughs> Look! There it is again, Gabriel. I heard it, Lord. I believe it's coming from the area in the Middle East known as Mesopotamia. Hmm. Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldees. Some of my best friends live down there. Google Earth it a little more. <laughs> Look! There it is again. I heard it, Lord. It, it seems to be coming from, from the area of, of the Chaldees, from, from that little tent there. Whose tent is that? Go ahead and Google Earth it. <laughs> Look! I believe that's Abraham's. I mean, it's Abraham's tent. It's Abraham's tent. Now, watch this. Abraham is saying to God, Look, you have not given me a son. Now, the reason I say that is because that's what we do when we face disappointment. When we face challenges, when we face crises, when we face, this is what we do. We say, God, look at what I don't have. God, look at what's not going right in my life. Look at what you have not yet done. So here's what Abraham is asking. He's saying, Almighty God, will you come and look at what I don't have? How is the Almighty God meant to get into Abraham's tent to see what he don't got? 
So God just says, yeah, it's not going to work. I've got a better idea. Abraham, why don't you get out of your tent? Get out from under your little narrow ceiling. Get out from that confined space. And I want you to begin to look up into the heavens. Because your breakthrough comes from the heavens. I want you to look up and I want you to begin to count the stars if you are able. Because more are your descendants than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Before God could change what was in Sarah's womb, God had to change what was in Abraham's vision. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said before God could change what was in Sarah's womb, He had to change what was in Abraham's vision. And God gives Abraham a vision for the evening stars, and then he gives him a vision for the daytime dust. A vision for the evening stars. When everything gets dark, he can look at the stars and say, God has promised me. In the middle of the day, he can look down on the desert sand and say, God has promised me. Vision for the night, vision for the day. God has got a vision. Uh, Twelve spies cross over the the Jordan River. They They go across to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing because the 10 spies come back with a negative report. Uh, They say, we are not able to to take this land. Why not? We saw the descendants of Anak. We saw that we were like grasshoppers in their sight and grasshoppers in our sight. We saw that the cities were fortified. Yes, 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 it's a land flowing with milk and honey. We saw that it was a land that devours. We saw that. We saw. It was what they saw. And yet Joshua and Caleb are like, what are you guys talking about? Their protection has departed from them. They are our bread. They are our food. Let us go up at once, for we are well able to take it. And the Bible says there was strife. They're looking at the same thing. Because God hasn't asked us to look. He's asked us to see. God has not asked you to look. He's asked you to see. When we look, we can describe the situation. God isn't asking you to describe the problem. God is asking you to see. God is asking you to see. Let me just break it down a, a little more. A 16-year-old boy walks into a valley. He walks into a valley. We, we, we know this because he, he, he pens Psalm 23. And he describes the valley this way in Psalm 23. He says, yay, though I walk through. Everyone else was thinking he was walking in too. But he says, no, 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 no. I was walking through. I was never intended that, that my demise... My destiny was not to perish in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, everyone's opinion. The sweet mama's watching. Oh, what a, oh, what a sweetheart. Isn't, oh, shame really, isn't it? Lovely kid. Going to his, at least he's going out in a, at least he's going out in a blaze of glory, isn't it? Look at him fighting that, that giant guy. Oh, God, he's courageous, isn't he? Like, nobody thought he was going to come out. They watched him go in there. No armor. No armor. Not even a weapon, but he walks in there, and everybody is looking, thinking it's game over. Even Goliath, when he sees David, the Bible says, says, am I a dog? I think that's how he speaks, actually. Am I a dog? You come to me with stick? David's like, oh, uh, oh, I didn't bring a stick, did I? Come to me, boy. I feed your carcass to beasts of field, birds of air. I will crush you like little... Oh, he might not have said that. Anyway, it's a... <clears throat> but everybody, everybody saw, because if you read 1 Samuel 17, everyone saw Goliath. And a champion came from Gath, who was nine feet, nine inches tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He had a coat of armor that weighed 500 shekels. Oh, really? Oh, you know that for a fact, do you? Oh, you went and asked him, excuse me, Mr. Goliath, can we just weigh your, thank you. We'll bring it right back. Like, you're sure that happened. But, you know, they're, they're, they're describing all they know in intricate detail, everything about their problem. Oh, let me tell you about my problem. So, yeah. 
David is the only one not describing the problem. David is the only one not seeing. David is the only one who's looking beyond the problem, who's seeing. Because we, after Goliath pipes off, David says to him, man, you come against me with your sword and with your spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whose armies you have defied this day. This day. See, everybody looked and thought David couldn't win. David looked and knew that he couldn't lose. Because Goliath wasn't fighting a 16-year-old boy. Goliath was fighting a promise that was given to the generations before David. That when you cross this Jordan and you go into the land that I have provided for you, a land flowing with milk and honey, no man shall be able to stand before you. That's why the first thing David does is acknowledges this is a man. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You is just a man. And my God said that no man shall be able to stand before. This day, I don't even need armor. I don't even need a sword. I don't need a weapon because your fight isn't against a boy. Your fight is against my God and you're going down. Come on, somebody. Let's not limit God by what we see. Let's get a God perspective. The second thing, moving really quickly, the second area I believe that we limit God is by what we say. By what we say. See, see, 10 spies came back and the Bible says they gave the children of Israel a negative report. 10 spies says, we are not able. We can't do it. They said, listen, it was, it's a land that devours its inhabitants and the people are numerous. Well, which one is it? What? Which one is it? Well, what do you mean? Well, is it a land that devours its inhabitants? Or are the people numerous? Because it can't be both. Either the land devours its inhabitants, the people that live there, or the people are new. It can't be... Look, would you shut up? I'm trying to make an excuse. Oh, sorry. Go right ahead. Keep going. Keep going. It's a land that devours its inhabitants. The people are numerous. Moreover, the cities are fortified. And we saw the sons of Anak there. We were like grasshoppers in our sight, grasshoppers in their sight. We're not able to do it. Now, how many people know there was no interview? Did, did you know there was no interview? No, 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 whether they skip up to one of the giants. Excuse me. Mr. Giant, hi. Oh, gosh, you are large, aren't you? Um, where's spy, sp, uh, sp, tourists? Tourists, they're not buying anything. Touring, touring, that's what we're doing. Um, when you look at us, what, what kind of picture comes to mind? <laughs> Filthy little rodents, okay. Uh, not bad. We're looking for something from like, you know, like an arachnid from like the insect family. Dirty little cockroaches. Okay, closer. What about something with wings that can fly? Grasshoppers, that's the one we're looking for. And top answer is grasshopper. Bing, 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 bing. That's what they're looking for. There was no interview. They, they, didn't, they didn't ask the giants how they... This is how they saw themselves. See, let me just tell you something. We don't see with the eye. We see through the eye. You don't see with your eye, you see through the eye. Your heart determines how you see. See, we think it's what you see. No, no, no. It's what's in your heart. The Bible says the heart of the children of Israel melted and they saw the same problem. They saw the same fortified city. They saw the same impossibility because their heart had now disengaged from the promise of God. That's why you're the smartest people in all of Valencia because on a Friday night, you are right here at the well. You are sitting here listening to the word of God, getting the word of God into your heart that builds faith in your heart that will change not just what you see, but how you see. But how many people know the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, are like, what are you talking about? Their protection has departed us. Let us go up at once. If the Lord delights in us, hello, he opened a Red Sea. Hello, I think that counts for delight. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. Who was right, the 10 or the two? two. Trick question. 
All 12. All 12 were 100% correct. The 10 that said it can't be done, it's impossible, were 100% correct. For them, it couldn't be done. They perished on this side of the Jordan River. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. But the two, Joshua and Caleb, who said it can be done, were 100% correct. They crossed the Jordan. They sacked the cities. They took down Jericho. They took down Ai. One giant after another. The king of, king of Bashan, oh, king. one after another, they took them down. So whether you believe you can't or whether you believe you can, ultimately you're going to be right. What do you say about your future? What do you say? Jesus is standing on a dais moments away from being executed. And Pilate looks at him piping off. He's just received a a letter, a telegram from his wife saying, have nothing to do with this carpenter's son. I've suffered tremendous things in a dream because of him. He's perplexed. The Bible says that he's trying everything to to, to get Jesus no longer to be crucified. And all the people are saying he deserves to die. He deserves to die. Jesus says nothing. He says, answer answer you nothing. Don't you hear all of these accusations? Sayest thou nothing? And Jesus says, I don't need to defend myself. If my kingdom was of this world, My servants would fight for my deliverance, but I don't need to. He says, don't you realize I have authority this day to determine whether you live or whether you die? You'd have no authority unless it was given to you from above. My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate is so rocked. He says, so you are a king, man. You are a king, man. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, it is as you say. Jesus didn't say, yeah. (laughs) You got me. (laughs) He said, it is as you say. Because if you say that Jesus is just an enlightened guru, that's what he'll be to you. Whoever confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God has raised him from the dead, salvation. It is as you say. Your life, it is as you say. You'll find that it took 40 years to get the children of Israel from Egypt into the promised land. 40 years. It's an 11-day journey. An 11-day journey that took 40 years. Can I tell you, can I put before you that it wasn't because God's compass was broken? Gabriel, north keeps changing. Where are we? It wasn't because God had run out of power. Guys, I split the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptian army. I'm kind of pooped. I think I'll just plug in and recharge my batteries and see in 40 years. God God didn't run out of power. He wasn't lost in the wilderness. So why did it take 40 years to take an 11-day journey? It wasn't about the geography and it wasn't about the power of God. It was about the children of Israel and their confession. The Bible says all the way through the flipping wilderness, they complained, they complained, they complained, they complained, they complained. Numbers 11, 1, and the children of Israel complained. Numbers, numbers 12, and the children of Israel complained. Numbers 13, the children of Israel complained. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. He'd had enough of complaining. Can I tell you, tell you something? Complaining attracts fiery serpents. I want more of the devil in my life. Just start complaining. Oh, the devil's not doing enough. Complain. It attracts fiery serpents. Oh, there they are. Because complaining is the language of victims. Whining is the language of losers. The children of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. But nowhere in the Bible does God say, nowhere in his dialogue with the children of Israel does he say, I brought my slaves out of Egypt. He says, I brought my sons out of Egypt. The problem is they did not see themselves as sons. They still saw themselves as slaves. They saw themselves as victims. And so they lived like a victim. They spoke like a victim. For 40 years, negativity, 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 whining and complaining. It is, as you say. 
It is as you say. Jesus passes by a fig tree, sees leaves on it, expects to find some figs, goes there, there's no figs. And so, you know, we know the story, curses the fig tree. The next day, there's like, oh, look, the fig tree you curses, wither up from the roots, and Jesus gives him a sermon. If you actually study it, nowhere does it say, and Jesus stood before the fig tree and says, I curse thee. In, well, look, I guess in my name. All Jesus said was, let no one ever eat fruit from you again. And it shriveled up and died. Man, I'm such a klutz. Oh, I think my memory's going. Man, we're never going to be able to buy a home here in Valencia. It's so expensive. Oh, this this city. Do you know how many people tried to to get me to confess? San Diego is a a preacher's graveyard. That that San Diego is not a place to build a big church. That you're never going to have a a, a large, influential, spirit-filled church. Everyone was trying to get me. To speak that word. But I don't have the luxury. If I want to be the head, not the tail, above only, not beneath, my assignment before heaven is not to regurgitate the negativity of my culture and become an echo in this world. My assignment is to take his word, put his word in my mouth, and begin to shoot his word. So while other people were telling me how difficult their city was, I began to declare San Diego a city for Christ. Campuses expanding. Every weekend, souls saved. Altar calls full. Healings, miracles taking place. Because it is as you say. It is as you say. Can I go a little bit deeper? My favorite story, David and Goliath. Right, Watch this. So David comes out. We know the story. Goliath's piping off. There's your stick, you know. And David, oh, I didn't, oh, sugar. I didn't bring a stick, did I, you know. And, uh, and so, so he says, you know, I, you know I, will, I will take your body and make it carcass. Feed the beast, birds of air. Come to me. And he curses David by his gods. Watch this. David looks at Goliath. And he says, you come against me with your sword and spear. Remember I said, share that? This day I will take your head from your shoulders and I'll feed your cock. Now, now thank God, thank God, there were no well-meaning Christians alive back then to ruin the moment. Thank God. Because can you just imagine it? Here's little David. I'm going to take your head from your shoulders. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Excuse me. Just hold a sec, Mr. Goliath. Whoa. Just give me one. Oh, David, look at you. What? David, did you hear what you just said? Yeah, well, I think so. (laughs) David, you just said you're going to take his head from his body and you're going to feed his carcass. Ooh, quite a strong word, really. You're going to feed his carcass to the beasts of the field, to the birds of the air, so the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. You just said that, didn't you? I believe it. Oh, David, you might think it's anointing. That's adrenaline. You're just all hyped. You're all pumped up, David. David, look, let let me help you. Have you read the next verse? Have you read it? Well, no, we're making it up as we go. Oh, silly me, David. I'm I'm from the future. Let me introduce myself. I'm I'm one of those well-meaning Christians, www.wellmeaningchristians.com. David, the next verse, if you were to read on, it says, but there was no sword in David's hand. Have you got a sword? I haven't got a sword. Oh, David, you've got five smooth stones. What are you going to do? Rub his head off? I don't know why you're laughing. It's in the Bible. (laughs) There was no sword, but there was no sword in David's hand. You know what I like about David? David spoke. David declared. 
David prophesied before he had the resources. Before David had the resources, he prophesied, I'm going to take your head from your shoulders. I'm going to feed your body to the beasts of the field, the birds of the air. When he got to Goliath, when he got to Goliath, there was no sword in David's hand, so he had to borrow. Um, that's a nasty wound, Goliath. It's right, in, it's embedded. I could try to, oh, it's not going to come out, is it? That's nasty. Look, what I'm going to do is, you're large, I can't take you. My dad's got a garage. We could maybe pry it out. What if I just, I'll just lie still, I'll just cut your head off, because I could probably carry that, and we'll see if we can't pry it out. What do you think? Now, how many people, well, let me show you this. How many people know that the, the thief, the devil, comes to kill, steal, and destroy? Kill, steal, and destroy, right? So when you get a fatal headshot, that to me counts for kill. When you take something that doesn't belong to you, like the sword of Goliath, that kind of counts for steal. So David right now is kill the enemy, steal his sword, and once you take the head off, that kind of counts for destroy. The devil, David does to the devil what the devil wants to do to you and I. David kills, steals, and destroys. David speaks, listen to me, listen to me. It is as you say, you can't, you can't prophesy we'll never own a home. You can't prophesy our kids are never going to come off drugs. You can't prophesy, man, we're never going to get there. You can't prophesy, you can't speak that. You've got to change the word. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. David said, this day I will. He didn't have a sword in his hand, but he got there. Do you know, you know the first thing God says to, to, to Adam, he says to Adam, it's in Genesis 1, 28, he just made it man. And then he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Yes. How? It's Genesis 1. Eve doesn't come till Genesis 2. God speaks first, resources later. When your pastors came to Valencia, they didn't drive into Valencia going, we've got millions, money's just flying out of the back seat. Oh, what do you say? We plan a church. We're going to do something with all these. They didn't come here with resource. They come here with a word from God. They came with a promise from God. They came boldly declaring that a well of higher vision was going to be planted right here in this valley. In this valley known as Valencia, there was going to be a well. There was going to be a spring. There was going to be a church. There was going to be a place of higher vision. There was going to be a And the resources have followed. Don't ever reduce your vision down to your provision. Begin to declare. Begin to prophesy. And watch your resource come up. Somebody say amen. Oh man, I'm out of time. I can't give you point three. Two more minutes. Can I do that? All right, just two more minutes, two more minutes. All right, so we limit God by what we see. We limit God by what we say. Last one, last one. We limit God by what we believe. We limit God by what we believe. When Jesus first called Peter, James, John, he's, he's teaching from Peter's boat. And when he finishes teaching, he says to Simon, Simon, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answers and says, Lord, we fished all night, caught nothing. Watch this. He says, all night we fished. We threw the net out in the night where the fish can't see it. It's daytime. When we throw the net out, the fish will see it. <laughs> Scamper. He says, nevertheless, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, Simon didn't have faith for nets. That's okay. But, but, but he, he said, oh, I'm willing. There's something about your word. There's something about your teaching." And when, you know the story, when they let down the net, there were so many fish. Before Jesus could change what was in their boat, he had to change what was in their hearts. 
Before Jesus could change what was in the boat, he had to change what was in their hearts. Simon Peter said, we fished all night. We toiled all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. They caught so many fish that the nets began to break. So they had to signal to their partners and they filled both the boats till they began to sink. And Simon falls on his knees and says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, don't worry, I'm putting you into the ministry. Now, fast forward. They got 5,000 men plus women and children in front of them. And Jesus says, oh, well, the disciples say, Lord, you know, great teaching. Awesome. A little long. Uh, they've been with you a few days. I mean, good sermon. We love all that. Blessed are the awesome. But you might want to send them away lest they faint on the way. You know, think of others. And uh, like Jesus did. Anyway. And so, uh, so Jesus, you know, says, no, no, you, you feed them. Uh, they're like, yeah. There was more. Judas, where's all the. Anyway. And they said, like, you know, we, ooh, even if we spend, uh, we don't have enough that everyone should have. And they're like, oh, don't tell Jesus you can't do something. Uh, there's a little lad here with five loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus, that's all I need. Sit them down in groups of 50. How many people know the story? So sit them down in groups of 50. Jesus looks up to heaven, blessed breaks, gives his disciples, they distribute. And the Bible says all eight were satisfied. Now, there were 5,000 men. They didn't count the women or the children. There could be anywhere from 12 to 20,000 people in that crowd, fed from five loaves, two fish. Now, I'm not sure about you, but if you've ever been to the Golden Corral, <laughs> nobody gets, well, that's enough. I, I don't want to leave stuff left on my plate. People's eyes are always bigger than their belly. Like, oh, you know, and then you've got people coming up, going, yeah, I'll have some fish and bread. And oh, can I have some for my friend? Oh, what's your friend's name? Kick, <laughs> Robert? <laughs> he doesn't have a friend called Robert. <laughs> like, people are taking stuff. You've been to a buffet? The disciples are like, oh man, this is a tragedy. But the, it just, people just kept coming. They lined up. They come. Oh my God. Oh, I can't even bear to look. Oh, oh, oh. You know. And the Bible says all ate and were satisfied. To you and I, the miracle. Watch Jesus. Then Jesus turned to them and said, Go, collect the basketfuls of leftovers. Leftovers? <laughs> leftovers? We were hoping that five loaves and two fish would be enough, and you're talking about leftovers. <laughs> Jesus said, Listen, if my papa was involved, remember when I told you to throw the nets, you threw the net. And the net caught so many fish that the net began to break. It was hemorrhaging fish. And you signal to your partners. And the Bible says they've filled both the boats till they began to sink. I want you to notice the Bible does not say, and when they took the last fish out of the net and placed it into the boat, the buoyancy ratio of the boat was in no way violated. <laughs> the Bible says that with one net... Breaking, fish hemorrhaging, Simon's boat and John and James's boat were filled with fish. So the boats began to sink because God is not a God of just enough. God is the God who does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. The problem is we don't believe that he's a God of abundance. So Jesus says, listen, I want you to go and I want you to collect the basketfuls of leftovers. Because let me tell you, I had to get Papa involved because five loaves and two fish can't do this. If Papa was involved, you're going to find his signature is always exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. Go get the leftovers. The Bible says they went out and they filled 12 basketfuls of leftovers. You can't put five loaves and two fish into 12. It wouldn't even cover the bottom of one. And yet there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Why 12? 12 disciples. Each disciple had to carry a basket that was telling them, ha ha. Each basket preached to them. 
The God is not a God who just meets your need. He's a God that does exceedingly. Come on, somebody. He's a God that does greater. He's a God of abundance. He's a God of overflow. He fills your cup till it's overflowing. He anointeth your head with oil. He's a God that does exceedingly, but we, we somehow have believed we've, we've bought into a God is broke mindset. You talk to a lot of Christians, well, God's broke. He kind of went a little overboard when he made the streets of gold in heaven. Now things are tied up there. He should have consulted the board. He just went on just like a maverick. And... The word in the Bible for create is ex nihilio. God created out of nothing. God, doesn't, God wasn't flying through the universe looking at rocks. Oh, I can't do anything with that one. Oh, this one. God creates everything out of nothing. One of the names for God is El Shaddai. The all-resourceful one. He does not need anything. He can create out of nothing. But we have a mentality that God is broke, that God is limited, that God is poor, that God is... No, no, no. The God that you and I serve can send a, a servant from Sydney to San Diego, a city he's never seen, a city he's never been to, and all of a sudden God is pouring out exceedingly, abundantly above. God forbid that I should limit him down to my resources. I should limit him down to my believing. God, I want to get my believing from what the Word says. The Word will inspire me to believe. For audacious faith, scary faith. Amen. You've been so amazing. Come on, can you give God a great shout tonight? Come on, how many people know we serve an unlimited God? Come on, why don't you take 10 seconds and just give this unlimited God a praise. Give Him a praise like you're believing. Like you're believing that this year, 217, 218, is going to be a year of the unlimited. Come on, keep praising. Come on, I, I see some unlimited. I see some walls coming down. I see some territory being taken. I see some walls shattering. I see some ceilings being busted. I see some miracles taking place. Father, we bless you. We thank you tonight.